wildfire disaster in Lytton. We've got to leave town. The town is on fire. Most of the town reduced to ash and the search for several residents. The evacuation call that likely saved lives. We've lost all our clothing and all our personal stuff and some irreplaceable things that came from our parents. A long road to recovery for people who lost everything. And a major failure of the emergency health system. We know some people have waited too long for a response. The apology for a fatal delay in service when the heat wave hit. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Lytton has been devastated, and it will take an extraordinary amount of effort to get that historic location back to uh, what it was. Fire roars through Lytton, giving residents little time to escape. BC's wildfire season has kicked into high gear in an instant. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The village of Lytton is in ruins after a wildfire tore through the town site. Almost the entire town is burned to the ground and some residents are missing. Imad Agahi joins us live from Boston Bar. Imad, it is almost impossible to imagine the speed at which this fire moved. It was so fast and there are reports tonight of fatalities. Well, Chris, Sophie, that is news that sadly we can confirmed. There are reports that two people have died in the Lytton fire. Two people that we know of right now in a fire that 20 kilometers north of us is not only still burning, but also growing. The store. The store. It was a race against a fire with a head start on an entire community. We've got to leave town. The town is on fire. In disbelief, hundreds made the potential life-saving but horrific escape from the village of Lytton. In their rear view, the community, and likely their homes as well, in flames. I got a phone call from emergency alert, and I, I didn't believe them, you know. I, I said, I looked out the door, and there's fire everywhere. And my house burnt down right after my daughter picked me up. We've lost all our clothing and all our personal stuff and some irreplaceable things that came from our parents. And it's a very sad day. Now, it is this that remains. Devastation. It's estimated the entire town is lost. People's lives are ruined. Um, uh, it's, it's just horrible. And my heart's with my constituents um, who've, who've lost their homes and are going to have to rebuild from, from scratch. Most homes and structures in the village, as well as the ambulance station and the RCMP detachment, have been lost. I also understand that some residents have not been accounted for and their location is currently being investigated by the RCMP. For officials, it is hard to distinguish between those who may be missing and those who may have evacuated without contacting police. There's not much left of our main village or our main village reserve. There's just utter annihilation and it's like a war zone in our community. And despite the uphill battle to save what little may be left, the fight continues to stop a growing fire now 9,000 hectares. Crews are working around the clock, but the conditions aren't helping. It's windy, hot, and the cell towers in Linton are down, perhaps meaning in these critical moments, communication for crews and families may be difficult.
All right, Ahmad, what have we learned at this point about what might have caused this fire? Well, so if this is something, the Thompson-Nicola Regional District and the acting chief of the Lytton First Nation have told us there is a strong belief that this fire could have been caused by a problem at the rail line here in town, but that has yet to be confirmed by the BC Wildfire Service. To get answered. All right, thanks for that. Uh, Imadagahi at Boston Bar for us. Now, because the flames moved so quickly, residents had not a second to waste. Robin Gill is live in Merritt, about 100 kilometers down the highway from Lytton, where some of those evacuees ended up. Robin residents really scattered quickly to get out of there. Yeah, Chris, as Ahmad mentioned, this fire was just bearing down on them, and they were they were trying to get away with, with smoke obscuring any daylight. They're in darkness. There's ash falling on them. And at the other end, when they finally got out of it, there's this sense of shock, but there's also a sense of devastation of what they've left behind. And more than anything, as you mentioned, they were sent in different directions. So as a result, families were split apart, and they're all trying to find out where they are, and that's where these evacuation centers are coming into effect. Families are getting together here, people asking questions or trying to ask volunteers if they can find their family members. And we spoke to one woman who said her father stayed behind so that he could save other homes. We found out that he was the last one to stay on reserve to, to fight the fire and save as many houses as he can. And he didn't leave last night. Have you heard anything from your dad? No, it's terrifying because I know he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave. Do you, do you know what's happened to your house somehow? Gone. Nothing left. It's level. There is my mom's house too. Did you see it before you left? No, we, we didn't have time to do anything. We just get up and go and that was it. Couldn't grab anything, so... That's pretty bad. I've lived here 50 years, you know, so I don't know what else to say, you know. You just heard that man talk about how he's lost his house. His mother has lost her house, and they're spending the night at the evacuation center, but they don't know where they're going next. Chris? Hoping for the best news, obviously, out there. Robin Gill, thanks very much. Robin reporting from Merritt. Well, dozens of new wildfires have been sparked in just the past 24 hours alone. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the B.C. Wildfire Service says the unprecedented hot and dry conditions mean it'll only get worse before it gets any better. A dense layer of smoke now covers Kamloops and the surrounding area. A result of the out-of-control Sparks Lake fire, just 15 kilometers north of town. The 20,000-hectare blaze has prompted an evacuation order for 163 homes. 298 additional homes are on evacuation alert. Skicheston First Nation says it's preparing for the worst. We are uh, put ourselves in a state of emergency and we have alerted our community to be ready to go, to be evacuated in a moment's notice. More than 100 firefighters are fighting the flames, assisted by helicopters and heavy equipment. So the safety of our fire, firefighters and our heavy equipment operators and is, the, is the number one objective for us right now, and then protecting life and property of the people that are out here. North of Lillooet, the McKay Creek fire covers 22,000 hectares, it too is out of control and the flames have crossed the Fraser River. 
An evacuation order is in place. 99 wildfires are burning in B.C. 75 of those sparked in just the last two days. More than 30 of those fire starts are in the eastern Caribou region near 100 Mile House. We are holding on to our holding on to the sides of our chairs and just bracing for um, a tough year. Uh, we are monitoring the weather. We're monitoring resources. We're requesting more resources. Southwest of Decca Lake, more homes are threatened and an evacuation order is in place. Nearly a dozen firefighters are battling that blaze, which was sparked by lightning. There he is. Look at that. Near Castlegar, they're fighting the flames from above, dropping water on a fire that's burning in the Mary Creek Forest Service Road area. A number of evacuation orders are in place. The Prince George Fire Center is reporting a fire north of Bucking Horse River, where there's an evacuation order due to a 4,800-hectare fire. With the province facing so many fires following days of extreme heat, the Premier is urging vigilance. To check with local communities before you travel, and that remains in place. And of course, uh, if you were planning on doing backcountry activities, you're not going to be wanting to go. BC's fire season already off to a devastating start, with most of the hot summer months still ahead of us. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the provincial response to the wildfire situation. Keith, our provincial state of emergency enacted for COVID ended today, but you get the feeling we could be heading into another one to deal with the wildfires. Indeed, Chris. In fact, I, talk, I asked Mike Farmer, the public safety minister, about that today. He, of course, invoked the emergency declaration twice before, soon after becoming uh, public safety minister for the first time in 2017. Then again in 2018, all tied to wildfire activity then. We're at the beginning of the wildfire season. Farmer acknowledges certainly under consideration for another emergency declaration. He walks us through how it actually works in terms of it being called. The current state of emergency uh, uh, expired uh, has been has been expired. So how it works is you get a local state of emergency is declared, uh, then assessments are made in terms of province wide uh, and the resources that are required. Uh, if additional uh, 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 significant resources or it's beyond the capability of what's being uh, of what is happening on the ground at the local level, then the province can move to the step of declaring a provincial state of emergency. So at the appropriate time, on the advice of the, the experts in my ministry and the, the fire service, uh, that would be at the point then that I would make a, uh, a declaration of a, a, a province-wide state of emergency. So if that declaration is made, it gives Farnworth and his, his officials significant power, the power to suspend travel through the province, the power to acquire personal property, land, uh, requiring people who are qualified to perform services on behalf of fighting fire. So enormous power accrues to the minister in this. And again, talking to Mr. Farnworth a couple times the last few days, I'd be very surprised if there's not a declaration of a state of emergency. They last for 14 days, and then, of course, they can be renewed, as the COVID one was done for well more than a year. Sounds like a lot of things have to go our way to avoid it, is, yep. is how it seems right now. Okay, Keith, thanks very much. All right. A lot of weather conditions need to go our way to avoid that. So let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at that forecast and what we need to be most concerned about, Christy. Well, it's definitely lightning, Sophie, because it is so dry out there. 55% of the current fires have been ignited by lightning, a majority of them in through the Caribou region because of all the ignition that we had yesterday from the Caribou right up into the northeastern sections. By the way, a lot of those thunderstorms developed because of the fire. The, the heat from the fire developed those thunderstorms. 
Those created lightning and then more fires. So it's a very vicious cycle. Now, today, the focus was in the southeastern corner. We don't know the tally for today, but we do know within an hour, we're talking about 50 to potentially 100 lightning strikes within that, that hour period. Uh, tomorrow, the focus will be in through the southeastern corner of the province as well. We'll be showing you more on that when I come back. But also, we're going to talk about the smoke. It is mainly in through the Kamloops region or right near the fires, but that's going to change tomorrow, and I'll show you which direction. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. In the meantime, more fallout from B.C.'s deadly heat wave. So many people waited too long for help from an overloaded system. What B.C. EHS says about the delays in urgent care. Next on the News Hour. A B.C. company doing deep research. What they found at the bottom of the ocean that could speed up the green transition. And a world record that's made to be beaten later on the news hour right now though we are hearing for the first time from the head of bc emergency health services about this week's deadly heat crisis which overwhelmed the already struggling ambulance service darlene mckinnon who's in charge is now apologizing to those families whose loved ones suffered and died in the sweltering heat while waiting for paramedics but as jordan armstrong reports questions still remain about the organization's response to the emergency As the heat wave cut a path of death across British Columbia, BC Emergency Health Services failed to activate its 24-7 emergency coordination center until Tuesday, the day temperatures began to cool off. We had all the powers we needed to respond to the heat wave. We were facing unprecedented challenges for our staff. The Emergency Coordination Center, according to the organization, allows it to reprioritize work and redeploy staff to focus on a crisis. The union is not impressed. That's a poor decision because we need to be, uh, be prepared for these emergency situations. And there's mounting evidence the service was not prepared. Massive waits for people calling 911. Ambulances delayed hours or never arriving. Families heading to fire halls in a desperate bid to revive a loved one. For at least one man, it was too late. It's been incredibly hard. I think we're incredibly proud of our staff. And I think that we've done a very good job in the response. Do you think that waits of two to three hours for life-threatening calls are acceptable in British Columbia? We know some people have waited too long for a response, and we... um, We we sympathize and we apologize for that. This is the internal email sent to paramedics and dispatchers after 5 p.m. Tuesday, the tail end of the heat emergency. It informs them of a relaxed uniform policy of T-shirts. It also gives them permission to carry a water bottle. There are many people watching who hear that and think, that's inhumane. The temperature was 40 degrees. It took until Tuesday for paramedics to be told they could carry a water bottle. We are listening to staff and meeting their needs. And had that been um, identified sooner or could have we identified that sooner, maybe we could have, absolutely. McKinnon says the ambulance service is in hiring mode, with around 400 positions being posted on Friday. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Up next, Canada Day with a difference. Orange is the dominant color as many choose quiet reflection instead of celebration.
And July 1st has special meaning for another reason, the start of step three and a return to normal. Well, July 1st is not only Canada Day. This year in B.C., it's Step 3 Day, with a host of pandemic restrictions being lifted. Global's Paul Johnson now on how and if life really changes for thousands of people starting today. How many of you have been waiting to do this? This is for you. I believe that. Yeah, it's all good. Every job matters. How you doing? We last visited Cafe Calabria on the very day when health orders were starting to limit what restaurants could do. Got through it. Yes, absolutely. But that was never certain. The family-run cafe on Vancouver's Commercial Drive had to soldier on through the difficult months. Takeout only to limited seating and masks. Betting their legendary coffee and Italian ambience would see them through to the day when the masks could finally come off. But now they come in and they're all relaxed, right? It's like Sunday morning all over. It's like every day Sunday. So it feels good. Up the street at the big transit hub, the new rule reality was starting to come into focus with many still wearing their masks, some telling us privately they wish the rules would continue, but others jumping right in. We're headed to the liquor store, yeah. Gearing up for their Canada Day festivities, these fellows had this take on the rule change. <laughs> I think it's good, yeah, it's moving the right direction anyway. It uh, feels more comfortable anyway, it feels like it's a, it's a turn back to the normal anyway. But obviously you'd be concerned about passing it on to someone that maybe wasn't vaccinated. Smaller ones are 20. Though his business Thursday was entirely outdoors, Artist Brad Henry says he won't miss the old mask rules one bit. Like a free man, free at last. Going forward, businesses recognize there's still going to be a balancing act for a while, making sure they're prepared to satisfy customers of every mask preference. A lot of my customers still come with the mask, and that's great. Some don't come with the mask. In East Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. It has not been a good start to the holiday weekend for people trying to get from the Lower Mainland to Vancouver Island. Just after noon, BC Ferries announced the Horseshoe Bay to Departure Bay run had a five sailing wait and that customers should consider going to the island from the Tawasan Terminal instead. We ask customers to make reservations so that they can secure a spot on their sailing of choice. If they can't make a reservation, we ask them to check our website, bcferries.com, look at the current conditions to get a sense of what's happening at the terminals and plan accordingly. An added challenge, some people who decided to head for Tawasan ran into this, an Every Child Matters march, which shut down traffic on the Lionsgate Bridge for a time. And for that very reason, not surprisingly, it's been a different kind of Canada Day in B.C. and across the country. The discoveries of hundreds of unmarked graves at former residential schools making it a much more somber and reflective national holiday. Kylie Stanton reports. Instead of red and white, it's a sea of orange. You know, to remember and honor those, those children that passed. Long, long overdue. This year is different. No O Canada and the only flags in sight flying at half-mast. It's a time of reflection and a time of, um, of mourning for our children and, uh, and of remembrance. In Victoria, 
Victoria, hundreds gather in support of Indigenous people in what they're calling their time of great grief, following the discovery of more than 1,000 unmarked graves at former residential schools, forcing Canadians to confront a shameful part of the nation's past. So I just ask them to pause and think about what is Canada? Who are we? And maybe that's the turning point for us this year is, as Canadians, we need to really think about that. Victoria was the first to reconsider its Canada Day celebrations back in June. We're just going to pause and uh, we won't be doing a broadcast this year. Since then, countless cities across the province have done the same. The hiatus now providing space for this. Traditional songs echoing from one community to the next. Finding ways to share a message. It says every child matters. That can no longer be ignored. I think it's a moment of introspection and coming to terms with the truth. And the truth requires honesty. The Prime Minister calling on all Canadians to do the work. Because in order to chart a new and better path forward, we have to recognize the terrible mistakes of our past. But for many, emotions are still very raw. July 1st is uh, now Cancel Canada Day on behalf of Idle No More. Peaceful protests are taking place across the country, calling on a shift in the way we mark the nation's birthday moving forward. Canada Day needs to be re-examined as a day for listening. 154 years later, it's clear the silence is broken. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, there is much more healing to do. The fact that there's graves inside a graveyard shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. The investigation at a former residential school site in Cranbrook to figure out who is buried there. And warning signs ignored how mismanagement likely contributed to the collapse of a Miami condo building. A B.C. First Nation is hoping to set the record straight tonight. Ground-penetrating radar uncovered 182 unmarked graves in a cemetery near a former residential school outside of Cranbrook. But as Global's Blake Law reports, the local band says it's working to determine if any of those graves are for residential school children. Sure that it's there for all time. Sophie Pierre is proud of her Akam community taking back ownership of this building. The former Kootenai Residential School, where she herself attended, is now part of a luxurious resort owned by five area bands and nearby the community graveyard. We just buried one of our people there last month. This is where last year the community started ground penetrating radar work. Pierce says over the years, wooden crosses were destroyed by fire, leaving some graves unmarked. I don't know where my grandparents are lying in there. All of those names, we will put markers so that we know that there's a grave site here, and so we won't disturb it. 182 unmarked graves were detected. A statement from a sister band, Lower Kootenai, was posted online Wednesday, saying some of the findings had the human remains buried in shallow graves, only three to four feet deep, and that it's believed the remains of the 182 souls are from the member bands of the Tunaha Nation and neighboring communities. Hundreds of unmarked graves near former residential school sites, many believed to be children, have already been detected in B.C. and Saskatchewan. 
there, there could very well be, and in, in good likelihood, there are some children that were in the residential school that died here because of TB or, you know, what all the other diseases that were going on and were buried there. But it's a graveyard. Pierre says unmarked burial sites at residential schools are a real and horrific reality of Indigenous communities across Canada. But she does not believe this graveyard and the 182 unmarked graves within fall into that category. She now hopes more radar work can be done around the grounds of the entire resort to ensure there are no remains outside of the cemetery. My fervent hope is that this awakening is not just something temporary to assuage someone's conscience. That in fact, it is real. In Surfside, Florida, the search and rescue mission at a collapsed condo building has resumed. It was put on hold for several hours today over safety concerns triggered by a shift in the building. Global's Reggie Cicchini brings us the latest. For more than a week, it's been a race against the clock and the impossible at the site of the Champlain Tower collapse. We believe that a cert continuing searching is something that's very, very important. But that effort was temporarily paused early Thursday. Engineers found the remaining part of the building shifted, making it too unsafe to continue working. Six to 12 inches of movement and a large column hanging from the structure that could fall and cause damage to the support columns. We needed our engineers on site to evaluate the safety of the standing structure. 18 hours later, crews returned to the site, but the delays only add to the agony and answers for many simply seem an eternity away. This could be a lot of pain and, and anxiety and suffering. Acting as Consoler-in-Chief, President Joe Biden offered a shoulder to a grief-stricken community and exhausted first responders. Children, young sisters, are among the dead. Biden keenly aware of the depths of darkness these families feel, having lost a wife and two children. They're going through hell. They had basic heart-wrenching questions. Will I be able to recover the body of my son or daughter, my husband, my cousin, my mom and dad? How can I have closure without being able to bury them? Meanwhile, there are new questions about the building's integrity. Video, taken only hours before it collapsed, shows water leaking down. Whether or not it played into the collapse will be part of the investigations, along with millions of pounds of debris that will undergo forensic analysis. Rescue crews are also in a battle against the weather. Days of heavy rain have slowed the operation, and now in the background, a tropical storm. And while a direct impact isn't expected, federal resources have been allocated if or when help is needed. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Surfside, Florida. Tragedy on the North Shore where a missing hiker has been found dead. Rescue crews have been searching for the man on Grouse Mountain for the past three days. The man had told friends he was planning to go for a hike, but when they didn't hear from him, they called police. North Shore RCMP located his car in the Grouse Mountain parking lot. A note had been left on the vehicle that read, Gone hiking on Skyline Trail 27th June. Sadly, search crews located the body of the missing man around noon today. Now, the cause of this person's death is now with BC Coroner Service. Uh, there is no indication of any foul play. There is no indication of any criminality involved in this death. Um, and as it stands right now, that then um, falls to the BC Coroner Service to conduct this investigation. And their investigation will uh, provide insight onto any potential causes of death. 
Vancouver police need your help in a strange dog napping involving a little puppy. The 21-day-old puppy was stolen from Crab Park earlier this morning. This picture is actually his sister, but he looks just like her. It's believed the suspect's first name might be Ryan. He's described as 6 feet 4 inches tall with blonde hair, wearing a blue or black jacket. And in an unusual move, Vancouver police are asking if you have any information that you call 911. In Health Matters tonight, Pinterest is now banning ads with weight loss language and imagery, becoming the first social media platform to do so. The policy update expands existing rules that have long prohibited dangerous weight loss products or claims from being published on the platform. The move comes amid a spike in eating disorders reported during the pandemic. Pinterest says its research found 41% of people feel pressure to get a summer body and 28% say pop culture portrayals make them feel self-conscious. Coming up, a discovery on the seafloor that some say could help solve climate change. People describe them as an electric vehicle battery in a rock. The Canadian company searching for nodules to power the green transition. Also coming up, run and gun filmmaking. Submissions to a festival that took only 48 hours to make. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. Watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, many see electrification as the only way the world can meet climate targets. Wind and solar power generate electricity that has to be stored somewhere, and the demand for electric vehicles is already surging. Finding the metals to make all of those batteries is a huge challenge, but a BC company believes it found the answer at the bottom of the ocean, and they're going deep to prove it. Deep beneath the ocean surface, the Metals Company is hoping to help meet the demand for electric vehicle batteries. They're after polymetallic nodules, millions of little potato-shaped rocks lying on the seabed. People describe them as an electric vehicle battery in a rock because everything you need to build a battery cathode is contained in these nodules. High concentrations of cobalt, nickel, copper and manganese. The nodules are found in the Clarion-Clipperton zone, a vast expanse of the South Pacific, 4,000 meters below the surface. There's something that they start on, could be a shark tooth quite often, or a, a little piece of shell or something, and the metal that is in solution in the seawater slowly accretes to the nodule, so it grows like a pearl over time, atom by atom. The metals company and about a dozen other international players, including China and Russia, 
have permission from the United Nations International Seabed Authority to research the unique ecosystem down there. And they're testing new technology to suck up the sunken treasure with the lowest possible impact. But some say the nodules should stay right where they are, undisturbed. Given we're in such a grave situation with the climate emergency, we need to be really careful about disturbing any kind of processes that are storing and scavenging carbon and helping to reduce that threat of climate change. The metals company argues the risk to the planet is far greater if this new source of battery-making material is not brought to the surface. The environmental and human costs of land-based mining are well documented. Child laborers have died mining cobalt in the Congo. And recycling alone won't meet demand. We just don't have enough today. We need to populate the system and then close the loop. I think probably within... 40 or or 50 years or so, there'll be enough metal then that we can keep using it over and over again. The metals company is planning to go public later this summer to help fund its continuing research and, if approved, its deep sea mining operation. Very cool. All right. Uh, bringing back meteorologist Christy Gordon, that does not look good for an already dry province, Christy. No, exactly. So we've had severe thunderstorm watches throughout the day, but now we've got one warning in place for the BC Peace River area right near Progress is where we're seeing the majority of the lightning strikes. What you can expect is incredible downpours of rain, uh, but isolated amounts, gusty conditions, and then also the possibility of hail. And it's not great news, that's for sure, but the fire danger rating in that region is a little bit better than the rest of the province. We're still watching the central and southern regions for sure. Now, this is the smoke across the region right now, mostly in through Kamloops. You can see Lytton as well and up towards Ashcroft, generally shifting towards the north. Tomorrow, we're going to see lighter winds, except if there's a thunderstorm nearby. Those will kick up gusts, but generally lighter right coming out of the north. So we're likely going to see a lot of that smoke shift into the Okanagan Valley. And then, as we head into the weekend, there's a chance that we'll start to see outflow. We could start to see some of that smoke into the weekend. We'll update you on that. It's still a couple of days away, but there's a chance here on the coast as well. Tomorrow, the focus of the thunderstorms will be from the Thompson region right through the Columbia and the Kootenai region again. So we're talking about significant lightning strikes, possibly again through that region. And of course, it's still tinder dry. These were the highs for today. The number on the left will drop. So the actual temperature expected to drop tomorrow, but the humidex values will stay high for one more day. Then you'll finally feel some relief over the weekend. So across northern regions, a little bit more comfortable this is where we have the risk of thunderstorms. We're talking about low to mid-30s, but humidex values still close to 40. Across the south coast, much more comfortable. Overnight tonight, we'll drop down to 17 degrees. We will see some cloud cover over the next little while, but generally we're looking at comfortable conditions. Tonight's central window's weather window is from Kamloops. This was their Canada Day today. Just giving you another perspective of what we could be dealing with, continue to deal with as we head throughout the summer. Well, those red sunsets, it's amazing. And sometimes not even at sunset, sometimes nope. in the middle of the day. Exactly. All right, All right. thanks, Christy. A Vancouver-based nonprofit organization had an ambitious Canada Day mission set a new world record. Today, drumming gathered more than a thousand people virtually, all with their own drum or a variation of one. The goal was to have everyone drum simultaneously for six minutes and set a Guinness record for the most people performing a drum roll. 
the Guinness people had strict rules and they were watching closely. And in the end, no rules were broken and Guinness did certify it as a new world record. They needed Squire to join in <laughs> on that. He's the only on one that. around here who could do a drum roll. Exactly. I should have got in on that. Yeah. See? There so, there you go. Uh, a Vancouver gymnast is Olympic bound again. I just have to believe in myself, and that's really all that I need heading into the games. Shallon Olson is hoping to become the first Canadian woman to ever win an Olympic medal in artistic gymnastics, and she has a great chance in the vault. Also tonight, fast forward filming. This hotel is canceled. The Run and Gun Film Festival gets more entries than ever, and it turns out there's a bit of a theme emerging. A little Canada Day wheeling and dealing by the Canucks well, front office? Well, no, 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 no. Talk about it. Mm-hmm. They haven't done uh, anything. Although, you know, this used to be the day when there's a normal NHL season that free agency starts. Right. Canada Day, free agency day, which is also very Canadian. Um, I'm not sure how true these rumors are, but there are rumors that Canucks might be shopping defenseman Nate Schmidt around. I'm not sure they should give up on him that fast. It was a weird year we just had. He actually wasn't that bad. Now, if you're offered something good for Nate Schmidt, then okay, make a trade. But otherwise, why not see how he goes next season, see if he bounces back first. And if this is all about lowering your salary cap, then you might as well shop Tyler Myers around as well. He makes a little bit more money than Nate Schmidt. Now, there was a trade in the NHL today. The uh, Kings have a lot of prospects and a lot of good young players, so they've added a veteran in Victor Arvidsson. They gave up a couple of picks uh, this year's second round and next year's third round. Every two years, CONCACAF, which runs soccer in North and Central America and the Caribbean, hold the Gold Cup tournament. It's kind of like the Euros or Copa America, except without as many stars or good teams. And because it happens every two years rather than every four years, it causes a lot of grief to MLS teams. This year's event runs for most of this month, and the Caps are losing Lucas Cavallini and Max Crapo to Canada's team. And Mark DeSantos really isn't all that happy about it. It bothers me, and I call it a little bit something that I can't say. But you know what I'm calling the situation. I know it's hard to do a schedule that pleases everybody, but it's not good. It's not good. All right. Wearing the Canada Day Reds, the Blue Jays against the Seattle Mariners. Just a little bit. Hey, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's a nice catch from first base. Going behind the bag. Here's another junior, Shed Long Jr. for Seattle, and he does go long. It was a rough day for the Jays. They're not very good on Canada Day. You can see their record right there, 15 and 27 all time. Maybe they should give up those red uniforms. Okay, it was a good Canada Day for Felix Auger-Aliassime, but not for his opponent, Mikhail Emer of Sweden. Again with these people going down at Wimbledon. He's okay. That looks like it could have... Shot his groin halfway across the sea, but he was okay. Uh, Ali Asim, four-set win here. So he'll take on Nick Kyrgios in the next round. And tomorrow, Andy Murray against Denis Shapovalov. That'll be fun. 
Okay, to show you what kind of company Vancouver gymnast Shallon Olson keeps, in order for her to win an Olympic medal this month, she'll have to go up against Simone Biles. But Olson is not afraid of Biles or anybody else. Shallon Olson has pretty much lived all of her young life as a gymnast. She started when she was just three, and now, a week shy of her 21st birthday, Olson is ready to compete in her second straight Olympic Games. I remember watching like the London 2012 Games on TV, and I was inspired by the gymnasts who made it there, and I was like telling my parents, like, oh my gosh, I want that to be me someday. And look, we made it happen, so <laughs> two times now. Olsen has also parlayed her gymnastics success into a full scholarship at the University of Alabama, where she helped the Crimson Tide win the SEC championship this year. Getting to actually compete in these COVID times was a real boost, considering many of her Canadian teammates haven't had real competition in over a year. I was able to get into the gym and practice and keep up my training level, which really helped me now, because otherwise I would not be as ready for competition. Shallon is ready and hungry to hit the medal podium in Tokyo in her specialty, the vault. She won a silver medal at the World Championships in 2018, but finished fourth in the event at the 2019 Worlds, her last major global competition. And even though it was two years ago, it still bothers her today that she just missed out on that bronze medal. I didn't get over it for a while. I told my brother about it, I wrote in my journal about it. I was like pissed off. I was like, how dare you take that bronze medal from me? I was, ooh, I was fuming. In case you missed it, Shallon Olson is a fiery competitor and she's got the confidence she will deliver the performance when it's crunch time. She teach me to actually trust her and that's very easy. I always like wish to have a gymnast who is like, don't worry, I got this, I have no stress going into this Olympics, I have just like uh, excitement and I know she'll do great. I know it's going to be the competition of her life. Whether she will have to add a third Olympic tattoo for Paris 2024 <laughs> is still to be determined. That is a pain she's already conquered twice. It did hurt, but like I said, I've been working my whole life for this, so I think it's a really memorable tattoo and I'm not going to regret that. And I'm not ever going to get it removed either, so... <laughs> Giannis Antetokounmpo can't play, but he can cheer his team on. Game five, Bucks and Hawks, and this is Brooke Lopez. He had a pretty good first half for Milwaukee, working without their main man. How about uh, Bobby Portis? Oh, just like Chris Galis used to do in college, throwing it down. Uh, Milwaukee up by seven. Only in warm-ups? All right. Uh, tomorrow, quarterfinals at the Euro begins. Italy, Belgium, that'll be a good one. Swiss and Spain. Then Saturday, England, Ukraine, Denmark, Czech Republic. Should mention merits. Roger Sloan had a good start to the Rocket Mortgage Classic. He's five under par. That's uh, tied for seventh, but he hasn't finished his round yet. They had to stop because it got dark. There you go. All right, Squire. Thank you. Still ahead, shooting from the hip. Amateur filmmakers find out what it's like to make a movie in only 48 hours. 
One of Vancouver's most unique film festivals is having a banner year despite or perhaps because of the pandemic. The Run and Gun Festival requires filmmakers to write, shoot, edit and submit their movies at breakneck speed. As Jay Durant reports, this year they say they have a bumper crop. Okay. A 1997 cinematic masterpiece. It was an artistic explosion. Close to 1,300 people working on 100 different short films over the course of a weekend. A pent-up release of creativity after having no outlet for well over a year. (laughs) Hi, Michelle. (laughs) Can kind of see where people's psyches are at based on the film submissions. And it's like, okay, people have had a year. People had a bit of a time. Everything from dark and edgy to comedic and visionary. Who dares disturb my HR-mandated 15-minute breaking time? There is even a submission from some elementary school students that dealt with bullying. Kids that are like 8 to 10 years old that directed, shot, did everything for the film, and there's something just very, um, just very innocent and exciting about that. Superhero, but I saved someone's life today. This hotel is canceled. There was only one rule no mention of COVID 19 or the pandemic at all, which has given this competition a fresh feel, a bit of a rebirth for local filmmakers. That doesn't sound very nice. The final screening and awards night is July 10th at the Rio Theater. It's been hard for judges to narrow it down. This year for the finals, the top 20 screening is incredibly high, and I think that's just because of the amount of volume and having our screeners pick the top 20 films to play, and it's it's going to be a great show. I'm so excited. I'm going to take this lighter. Oh! Jay Durant, Global News. Nice to see movies again in theaters. No doubt. Bit of a retro vibe in a couple of them with a cassette and a VHS tape. I'm pretty sure I spotted it in there. Crazy. All right. Uh, As we leave you tonight, a reminder, we have been thrust into wildfire season and the devastating consequences it can bring. Our thoughts are with the community of Lytton tonight. If you would like to help them, go to our website, globalnews.ca slash bc, for more ways on how you can give them assistance. Good night, everyone, and stay safe. And thanks for watching on Canada Day.